Welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? Last week, we explored the relationship between freedom and loyalty. As I continue to walk with this question, this sort of parable, I want to look deeper into that question, more fully illuminating where it's trying to speak in my life. I spent time with friends and business partners yesterday And we discuss this nexus between sovereignty and responsibility. As we worked through this question, we felt our way into the dynamic of being in right relationship. What does that mean, right relationship? Every year I pick a word or a phrase that sort of is my focus or my frame for the year to come. And this year, that phrase was right action. And I'm becoming more and more fully aware that right action can only spring out of a foundation of right relationship. That right relationship is the only way we can truly have the ability to discern right action. We all exist within this loom of relationship, all being woven together. Whether we embrace that or resist it, it's just the way it is. We can't survive long without community. The people and the beings around us are more than just extras on the set of our epic life. They each have their own sovereignty, their own destiny, Each being we encounter exists at the center of their own universe of perception. And if you imagine every being as a sphere, that sphere encompassing their universe, we are all overlapping concentric circles, forming this Indra's net of cosmic perception, completely connected and interrelated. Indigenous societies deeply understood the value of relationship and an individual's standing in relationship to community was the highest currency. There were many traditions around giving things away and proving our generosity, showing how community care was the way that people built social currency and demonstrated their own priority for relationships. Offerings were given to the land, to the ancestors, to the deities that bring crops and success on the hunt. These offerings and prayers 
are a way of tending relationship. We have come far down this path of individualism and we've lost the art of tending our belonging. When we look to nature as our teacher and the ways of community, we can see how important relationship is to vitality and survival. I feel such a grief and a longing for the kind of relationships that I observe in nature. The way the bee finds such bliss in fulfilling its obligation to the rose. The way the apple tree is so prolific in its generosity to feed the deer and the raccoons. The way that the rose knows fully that she's caring for her own health and her own life while also caring for the bee. The way the deer knows that it's helping the plant create new orchards while also nourishing her own body and the health of her fawns. There is no separation between the vitality of the rose and the vitality of the bee. There is no separation between the interests of the apple tree and the interests of the deer. They are completely intertwined in their destinies, in their health, and in their vitality. They are fully interwoven together, the joy of one directly enhancing the joy and health of the other. There's no obligation, no manipulation, no game playing or posturing. There is only the simple bliss of life, pouring out its sweetness and fulfilling its purpose. The bee and the rose are working together, hearts pointed toward the same intentions. More roses, more bees, more beauty, more honey, more for all. This is right relationship. At Symmetry Holistic Collective, the business that my friends and I started back in May, we're trying to do everything as much as we can in right relationship with each other and with our community. How can our work be like pollinating? How can I be intimately aware of the bliss of my own work, helping to expand the joy and vitality of those with whom I'm working? How are our destinies interwoven? When my freedom and health and happiness are as important to my community as they are to me, we are in right relationship. When my community's needs, happiness, and health are as important to me, we are in right relationship. We see ourselves as interconnected. The health of one is the health of all. We are all moving through life together, holding each other, and encouraging each other toward the highest expression of love, beauty, vitality, freedom, and joy. This is right relationship. And from this place, right action can flow. Right action is always oriented toward wholeness and the emergence of the highest possible outcome for the most beings in the web of life. 
Life is programmed for right action because nothing is separate and all things are working in concert. It's only humans who can conceive of actions that aren't in alignment with the balance of life. And it is only humans who can choose to act out of accord with the highest good of all. This is what makes us so unique and our potential so great. When we choose to act in right relationship, that choice affirms the foundational structure of life. When we choose to act out of harmony and out of integrity, all life leans toward us, singing us back to ourselves. If only we can listen and see and feel their guidance. It's in the stories made by humans, in the mythologies that we have fabricated about power and domination and chosenness and our superiority, where we have found ammunition for the endless battle between competing interests. If we could turn our will toward caring for the interests of our community, human and non-human, with as much passion as our self-interest, especially those concerned with being right, being chosen, being special, understanding instead that we are one in the same, so much healing would be possible so quickly. I asked for a plant to come forth and offer us a teaching on this topic, the topic of right action born of right relationship. The plant that stepped forward was corn. Corn has been a staple food for humans on this continent for thousands of years. We have been in intimate relationship with corn, selectively breeding for bigger and sweeter kernels to feed more people and offer more palatable textures. Corn's changed from a wild and wandering grass to a groomed and controlled plant that stands in militantly orderly rows in vast monocrops all over the continent, where it once grew freely and abundantly and wildly. Around 10,000 years ago, a wild prairie grass called Teosinte formed a deep and creative relationship with the native people of Mexico. They began to select varieties of Teosinte, which had larger kernels and less coarse sheathings over the kernels, making them easier to process, having more protein and carbohydrates per kernel, better for human consumption. These humans began to introduce Teosinte to their trade neighbors in South America, who developed their own relationship with the plant and asked it to grow in different ways that were more palatable to them. Researchers have found multiple streams of corn domestication that have evolved out of the various personal relationships that humans formed with this plant. Today, around a billion metric tons of corn are produced globally each year, with the United States being the major producer of corn in the world. Corn is used to feed animals for livestock, to make syrup and oil, to make plastics and ethanol. It's made into chips and tortillas, breads, added to soups and stews. It's the major sweetening agent for our soft drinks and our commercial confections. Corn is everywhere and in everything. We rely so heavily on corn but how are we holding up our end of the relationship? Jane Goodall, in her book, In Defense of Food, 
talks in detail about the ways humans have betrayed our relationship to corn and how that betrayal has led to our own detriment. Genetic splicing has made corn a disruptive force in our gut microbiome. Chemical weed control has had effects on our waterways and negatively impacted human life. Petrol-based fertilizers are destroying watershed ecology and sterilizing soil life. We have lost our connection to our shared destiny. Whatever we do to corn, we do to ourselves. Whatever we pour onto the land, we pour into ourselves. We are not moving in right relationship and we are not discerning right action. What would corn ask of us now if we could move back into right relationship with this beloved friend, with this healer and nourisher and teacher and guide? When did we stop listening to Teosinte as a creative partner and start to see corn as an inert, inanimate object to be tinkered with, irradiated, genetically modified, and trained to live in poisonous and sterile environments for the convenience of humans. If the needs of corn were as important to us as our own needs, if the needs of the soil were as important to us as our own needs, if the needs of the watershed were as important to us as our own needs, How might this be different? Because our needs and the needs of the watershed are not competing. They are intertwined. We share a common destiny. This is the major flaw in our mythology, that the interests of beings are in competition with each other. In a more intact cosmology, we would understand that all of our destinies are one destiny. That what we do to anything, we do to ourselves. And what we do to ourselves ripples out into everything. This is what the plants have shown me. They deeply understand this. Their roots are intertwined and touching and holding each other under the ground in ways that we cannot imagine. And there is a wisdom that flows through the plants, through the soil, through the winds, through the birds, that is a whole and intact stream of wisdom that we are a part of but have turned away from. Every year we tend a meadow Part of our garden is left to be whatever the land wants it to be. Last year, the meadow was almost entirely Queen Anne's lace or wild carrot. Her roots going deep into the soil, creating perforations and opening up more possibility for soil microbe life as the roots were left uh, throughout the winter. This year, in the exact same patch of land, there are just a few Queen Anne's lace plants. 
but now that whole meadow is full of asters. The asters in bloom will feed many of the late season pollinators who are preparing for migration or hibernation. I don't fully understand why the land chose asters this year and Queen Anne's lace last year, but I know there's a wisdom to it. And I just keep watching and participating in whatever ways I'm invited to. In with the aster, there are goldenrod and chicory. The milkweed was eaten by deer, so they weren't super helpful with the monarchs this year. (laughs) I never know what's going to happen in the garden, but I trust the wisdom that flows. And I trust my willingness to keep listening, even if I don't always get it right. So as we move back into right relationship, as we develop a cosmology that is reverent and inclusive to the wholeness and the needs of all beings as reflections of our own needs, I would invite us to ask ourselves, what would Teosinte ask of us? What would it be like to move back into right relationship with this plant that has contributed so greatly to the booming of our population, to our overall health, to our ability to develop technology? It is not too late for us to turn back toward the web of life and to find our way back into right action. Thank you for joining me for the Plant Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Schrader. I'm an herbalist, a mother, a holistic nurse, and a practitioner of the ancient ways. You can connect with me between episodes at therebelherbalist.com or on Instagram and Facebook, The Rebel Herbalist. Thank you for joining me, and it's time to come back to life.